Yes, and uh, what I know for sure is that anytime we open the Word of God and we have a heart that hungers to hear His truth and to know His truth, that He will be faithful to reveal His truth to us. And so excited to open the Word in John chapter 8. Uh, you got your Bibles, the Gospel of John, as we read just a couple Moments ago, we'll start in verse 48, and we will walk through the rest of this chapter together this morning. And our theme I mentioned is faith over fear. And uh, I think probably just about everybody at some point or another, somewhere along the way, has been fearful about something. Uh, I mean, it can be as common as uh, a fear of public speaking. So evidently, that is one of the greatest fears that people have is a fear of getting in front of people and talking. All right. So just curious if, if, if you're like, hey, I'm one of the uh, it said 75 percent of people. Uh, that is my fear. Is that you? Would you raise your hand? All right. And some of you, there's another fear called raising your hands in front of people. <laughs> you just don't like that part either. So like, I'm not doing that. Uh, I get it. There's all kinds of fears. There's fears of speaking in front of people. There's fears of um, being in, in, in tall places, heights. Um, you know, if somebody's headed to St. Louis and they go to the arch, you say, you go right on up there. You go check it out. I'm going to stay on the ground. That's where... I'm going to stay or fear of spiders. There's just all kinds of different fears and some are common. Some are very unique and 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 some I, I found out there there are phobias around specific colors, uh, a fear of yellow, a fear of beards, a fear of uh, peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. These are these these are fears like that 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 grip people's hearts. And so there's different different things. And so uh, perhaps for you. Uh, it's not so much a color or a height, uh, but it's more of, of a physical fear or a relational fear. You know, a fear of, of sickness, a fear of uh, a change in a relationship. It can just, there can be these fears. And it's, and it's been said that one of the greatest fears is the fear of the unknown. Um, uh, one author said it this way, the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is the fear of the unknown. And I think probably all of us would agree it's that it's the unknown often that can grip our hearts and can wear us down and can wear us out. And it's, and it's in times of the unknown or, or when fear tries to take a, a root in our heart that as a believer, we find great encouragement in the scripture and we find great encouragement in the word. It's, it's in times like these where we might even take the word and we pray it back to God. Uh, Paul said it this way in Philippians, 2, or Philippians 4, verse 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love what Paul reminds us because he reminds us that peace comes through a person and that person is King Jesus. And the only way to experience peace in this broken world is through a life giving relationship with the Lord. I I can remember it was it's been almost 11 years to the to the almost to the day 
But I remember being in an ICU room, and I've shared this with you before, and I will probably say it again, but it's one of those, you just have those times in your lives, they're like markers in your life where you remember the time, the place, you knew exactly what was going on. And I remember being in an ICU room, it was, felt like the middle of the night, um, and, and my mom is unresponsive, and, and, and I'm the only one in the room, and I just don't know what is happening, I don't know what's going on. And, and I remember, uh, we talk about white knuckling. If you've ever like white knuckled, maybe a, a chair or your, or your steering wheel, whatever it is, you hold on so tight, uh, your knuckles become white. I was holding on so close to my Bible and all I knew to do was just, just to, just to pray God's word and Isaiah chapter 26, verse three and four forever etched in my heart. It says you keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And I love just holding on to that word and just reading that word over and over because I knew that my only source of lasting peace would come as I fix my eyes, as we will be reminded on the great I am, on Jesus. Faith can overcome fear because the who, the object of our faith is far greater than the circumstance. But we must keep our eyes on him. Today we'll see that Jesus is God and those who place their faith in him will live forever. We'll see that in the word as we walk through. And just before we jump in, because we are, we are walking through the gospel of John, we pick up where we left off last week. And so there's a lot that's happened uh, in, in the, the passage that we're in. But just a quick little update. Uh, the Feast of Tabernacles was a major feast, a major feast for the, the Jewish people. They had three feasts a year where they would actually travel into Jerusalem to celebrate. Feast of Tabernacles was one of those. This, taber this Feast of Tabernacles has came and now it has come to a close. And Jesus uh, attended that feast. He attended all the feasts as he grew up there in Palestine. And as he was there, he taught... And I love his message always to those who have ears to hear. He says he is the bread of life. He says he is the living water. He says he is the light of the world. He says anyone who's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. In other words, whoever's soul thirsty for forgiveness and grace and a relationship with God to have peace, let him drink of me. In other words, let him place his faith and trust in me and you'll never thirst again. He's the light of the world. We live in a spiritually dark world. He came to give light to a spiritually dark world. All those living apart from a relationship with God are spiritually dead. He came to give spiritual life to a spiritually dead world. And so here he is. And he is on the Temple Mount and the feast is come and gone. But there are those who have gathered and they are listening to what he's saying. And among those that he's talking to, some are hungry and ready for the word. The Bible says that many believed. In other words, many placed their faith and trust in him for their salvation. Uh, others uh, were, were honestly maybe just didn't even really care. I mean, they were there. They were around. They were listening. They were about to pack up and go back home. And there were others there who were very religious, but they were very angry as Jesus was speaking truth. And what we're seeing is we're going to see this anger kind of reach a fever pitch because Jesus has just challenged 
their worldview. In other words, the way they have thought, seen and acted their entire lives. Jesus is challenging what they have thought all of their lives. For example, and we won't have time to unpack all of the previous passage. But number one, they thought they were free. They thought they were free. Um, But Jesus told them that anyone who participates in sin is a slave to sin. So they think they're free. In reality, they're a slave to sin. Jesus teaches them this. It's true of all of us. All of us have thought, said, or done things that hurt the heart of God. And our sin separates us from God. And not only that, they think that their bloodline is going gonna, is gonna to rescue them. And that they're good with God because they come from Abraham. Abraham's descendant. If you're familiar with Abraham, go back to the Old Testament. Father Abraham had many sons. And I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. They're, they think they're set, they're good to go, because they can trace their lineage to a godly man, a patriarch, Abraham. But Jesus challenges them in the fact that a bloodline isn't going to save you. Like Just because you had a, a godly mom, dad, grandparent, or even if Father Abraham is in your lineage, listen, your bloodline can't rescue you only a relationship with Jesus, the Messiah can save you and rescue you. So they think they're free. They're a slave to sin. They think they're good because of father Abraham is in their lineage. And Jesus says, no, your father's not Abraham. Your father is the devil. And then not only that, then they say, well, God's our father. And, and, and Jesus is like, no, like you think you're a child of God, but you're a child of God is only a child of God. If they have been adopted by God into the family repented of their sin and trusted in Him as Lord and Savior of their life. You may be a creation of God, but a child of God is one who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And so I want you to just kind of feel the temperature in the, on the Temple Mount kind of rising up. And they're getting fired up. And this is where we jump into verse 48. The Bible says this in John chapter 8, verse 48. The Jews answered Him, speaking of Jesus, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Are we not right in saying that you have a that you that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? They have just been overwhelmed with with truth. They cannot attack the character of Christ because there is nothing to attack. He is he's perfect. He's holy. And so they're kind of backed in a corner so they can't attack his character. So what are they going to do? They're just going to start hurling insults at him. They're going to start, they're going to just start calling names. Earlier in John chapter 8, they, they mocked him and accused him of being born in sexual immorality because they knew Joseph wasn't his biological father. Joseph wasn't his biological father because he was born from above. And so now they're saying he's a Samaritan and this word was meant to be a great insult to Jesus. I want you to imagine the most insulting thing somebody could say to you. And this is what they're trying to do to Jesus by calling him a Samaritan. It goes back to a centuries long feud. If you go back to the Old Testament, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. When they did, a a few Jews remained. The others were deported to other areas of other conquered lands. And when Assyria would conquer another land, they would take people from their conquered land and they would move them into other conquered lands. And basically, they're just trying to like demolish any kind of national uh, feeling or pride or unifier. And what happened was the Jews who were left after that Assyrian takeover 
intermarried with others from other conquered lands. And thus we have the Samaritans. And so there was this feud between Jews and Samaritans, so much so that when they rebuilt the temple or were beginning to rebuild the temple, Samaritans came down to try to help out. And the Jews said, "Uh uh-uh, no, you cannot. You cannot. And then what we see is a rival temple. We see rival religions and we see this feud that is going on and on and on. And what they're basically saying by calling Jesus a Samaritan is that you are a traitor and you are a false teacher. But for Jesus, he is the truth. And so as they are talking to him on top of all of that, they say, you're you have a demon, too. So to have a demon is you're, you're, they would say you're, you're insane, you're crazy if you have a demon. And so, so they're hurling insults, you're a Samaritan and you're a demon. And so they're just trying to pile it, they're trying to pile it on. And in verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Now Jesus had earlier taught in John chapter five, perhaps to some who were in this audience, About a year earlier, there was another feast and Jesus was there and he healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years of his life. And he had teaching moments there with those Jews who had gathered there on the Temple Mount. And he told them in John 5, verse 23, he said, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And what he's saying is, if you don't honor me, you don't honor the father. You don't honor the father, you don't honor me. Verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. And what Jesus is referring to is that through through the Old Testament, you see God's word pointing to the Messiah, the coming of Jesus during the ministry of Jesus. You see at his baptism, you see the father speaking from above. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The father giving glory to the son. You fast forward to another miraculous uh, encounter on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is there with Peter, James and John. The father speaks from above. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The father glorifies the son. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2. He says in verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the Father glorifies the Son. Verse 51, truly, truly. And your translation might say verily, verily. What Jesus is saying is what I'm about to say is of utmost importance. It was of utmost importance then. It's of utmost importance now. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If anyone, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. I want us to imagine Jesus. Here's Jesus again in this setting of a people that want to kill him. By the end of this chapter, they're going to have stones in their hand ready to stone him to death. They have hearts that are evil against him. And yet Jesus in his grace and in his mercy and in his love to these people who have turned their hearts against him. He continues to offer this invitation of salvation. And he says, if anyone will keep my word, he will live forever. That word, if it's a conditional, 
We use that word if a lot. If you do this, then this is going to happen. If you do this, this is going to happen. Jesus says, if you keep my word, you will live forever. If anyone. He's talking to everybody. This is why we read when God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, like his heart is for all people to be saved and to be in a relationship with him. That the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to faith and repentance. And so here's Jesus looking into the eyes of a people that want to kill him, to stone him, to end him, to end his ministry. And he, in grace and truth, reaches out and says, if anyone, if anyone would keep my word, he will live forever. So to keep his word means to embrace his word, it means to take hold of his word. It means to hold on to his teaching. Jesus' teaching was very clear that you cannot have a relationship with the Father except through him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made a way where there was no way. And so he has invited them to embrace the truth about who he is and that only through repentance and faith in him can you be forgiven and rescued and saved. But here's what happens. If you believe that, and as believers, we believe the Bible, that means you also reject other teaching that says there is some other way. In other words, if, if there is a conviction or perhaps a perspective or a worldview that says, well, it's all about being a good person and that the one day your good outweighs your bad. And at the end, the scales all tip more in good than bad. Then you're good to go. The problem with that is that Jesus has told us anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And apart from Jesus, you will die in your sin. It means that if there has been this 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 worldview that well, like I, I've gone to church all my life. I have Father Abraham in my lineage, like I'm good to go. I'm good to go, right? How many of us have tried to get into a place or go somewhere on somebody else's coattails, right? You do some name dropping. But the thing is this, you can't drop a name in heaven. The only name in which you can experience life and life to the full is King Jesus. And so he is teaching them and he's challenging them. He says, if you keep my word, you'll live forever. Do you know one of the greatest fears that is shared by mankind is a fear of death? It's a fear of death. Physical death is the separation of, of body and soul. Spiritual death, we talk about as a separation of spirit from God, soul from God. And what, what Jesus is communicating in grace and truth is that when you receive him, you will not experience spiritual death. All of humanity, just about all of humanity, the statistics are off the charts, believe that there is life after this world ends. That there is afterlife, regardless of what, what you believe to be true, that, that, that conviction is, is held by many. And here's why, because Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has placed eternity in their hearts. He's made us for eternity. He's wired us for a relationship with Him. We know there's something more. If any of us walked through a cemetery and we saw tombstones and we see that there is a birth date and we see a dash 
and we see a, a date of physical death, that we understand that there is a dash, and in that dash is what we're living in right now. But that when that physical dash is over, we know that there is more. And Jesus is communicating His truth to them to say there is absolutely more. And death cannot have you. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. This is why I love Psalm 23. Many of you have heard it. It's been preached. It's been shared. It's been memorized. There's this great, great part of Psalm 23 where it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are, anybody, with me. That is so good. I love that God calls death a shadow because a shadow can't do anything to you. I mean, I'm like walking with my kids or whatever. We have light behind us and there's a shadow and we'll make, you know, like, I don't know, like you make. Yeah, you do that. You make animals like you do all kinds of stuff. But here's the thing, like the shadow, it can't do anything. It has no power. This is why King David, I love, is like, listen, death is this shadow. A shadow can't do anything to hurt you. A shadow can't do anything to harm you. I will fear not. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Life comes through embracing Christ and the truth of his word. And this is what we see through the gospel. In verse 52, the Jews said to him, well, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And this, I think this is the question that Jesus wants us all to answer. Because this is the right answer. Jesus, who are you? Who are you? Because if you are who you say you are, that changes everything. It changes everything. If you remember the woman at the well, I love John chapter four in that passage. And I love how Jesus meets a Samaritan woman and meets her where she is. He knows everything about her. He knows her past failed relationships. He knows her reputation. He knows the the hurts and the habits and the hangups. He knows that the, the, the current uh, man that's living with her is and her husband. Like he knows everything about her. He knows everything about her. And in his grace and in his truth, he meets her where she is. That's where Jesus meets us, right where we are. Whether you are a Jewish religious person on a temple mount and you think you got it all together, or whether you are at a well in a desert town, thirsty for grace and forgiveness and peace with God. God meets us where we are. And so here they are. You greater than Abraham. And you know what the woman at the well told Jesus? She said in John chapter 4 verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? So the Jews are asking about Abraham. She's asking about Jacob. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. You will never be thirsty again. You will never see death. If you believe 
in me, the living water, the living water. Christ knows everything about her. If y'all know the story, she runs into town. She's like, come meet the man who told me everything that I've ever done. In John 4, verse 25, 26, a little bit later, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And what did he just tell her? All things about herself. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He is greater than Abraham. He is greater than Jacob. He's greater than all the prophets. He's greater than any spiritual person, good moral person, good teacher. He is altogether separate. He is altogether different. He is God. And because he is God, that changes everything. This is why as a believer, our assurance rests in the authority of who he is. This is why our confidence This is why we can be confident in the face of fear and the unknown. We can be we can face the the uh, the 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 unknown because we know who he is. Our assurance and rest coming in the authority of who he is. Verse 54, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Do you may read that if you're familiar with the Old Testament? Be like, did Abraham see Jesus? Jesus said he saw Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said he saw him. So how does what does that mean? I don't... We, don't know 100%. If you dig into the word, you will, you will read where Abraham had an encounter with a king priest named Melchizedek. Hebrews teaches us that he had no father or mother, no origin, that he is from Salem, which means peace. His name, Melchizedek, means righteousness. He's the king of peace. It could be a pre-incarnate encounter with Jesus Christ. We don't know that. Was that what we're talking about? I don't know that. Could it be that at his old age, when Father Abraham had Isaac, and at the birth of their son, they were reminded of this covenant promise that God made with them, that through your seed, Genesis 12, all the nations of the earth will be blessed? How in the world can all of the nations be blessed? Because it is through Abraham, through Isaac, and generation through generation that ultimately the Messiah would come. Could it be on that mountain when Abraham went to sacrifice his son, his only son, and God says, wait, I will provide the sacrifice. And then on that mountain, ultimately, Jesus Christ, the son of God, would be the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. I know that Matthew's gospel, if we were to go over there, Matthew chapter one, a lot of times we jump into that first part of a chapter of a gospel and we see a bunch of names that are really hard to pronounce and sometimes we just kind of want to jump over to the other to the good stuff you know but but in Matthew 1 those names that are hard to pronounce is the good stuff because what happens in Matthew chapter 1 is that it begins with Abraham and it follows generation to generation to generation ultimately to the Messiah Christ clothing himself in flesh and dwelling among us and do you know who wrote Matthew the gospel of Matthew 
Matthew. You know what Matthew was? A Jewish tax collector. Do you know who Matthew was originally written to the audience? To Jewish people. Why? Because of Father Abraham and the fame that Father Abraham is. And he is helping us see that that Christ is the Messiah and how He's the only one. In Hebrews 11, they have this hall of faith. All these faithful Old Testament saints, men and women in the faith. Here's what Hebrews 11 verse 13 says. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. But listen to this. But having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Abraham celebrated the day of the Lord and saw the Lord. So in verse 57, the Jews are doing the math. They're doing the math. And the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly. And here it is again, barely, barely. Here it is again of utmost importance. What I'm about to say I want you to hear truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Oh, that that is so good. That is so good because they're doing the math. And guess what? Abraham died about 2000 years before this moment. How in the world could you know Abraham? (laughs) He died 2000 years ago. What Jesus is communicating is that I existed before Abraham. I created Abraham before Abraham was. I am. It's the same thing John the baptizer said in John chapter one, John the baptizer, the great forerunner for the gospel. He was married. Excuse me. He was birthed physically before the birth of Jesus, the physical birth of Jesus. And so if you do the math, John came before Jesus. But that's not what Jesus said or what John says. In John 1, 29 through 30, the next day, he, John the baptizer, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Why? Because he was before me. (laughs) He's always been. Jesus is communicating that he is God, that he is eternally preexistent. Now, only through him can you be rescued. John, the disciple who wrote this gospel that we're walking through, John 1, 1, out of the gate, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, not anything made that was made. So what in the world is Jesus telling them? Jesus is telling them that I am God. And apart from me, you have no hope. And so I have made a way where there was no way. Jesus says, I am, which is significant because if you go back in the Old Testament again to Exodus chapter three, you will find a guy named Moses and he has been given a task to go down to Egypt and to lead God's people out of bondage in Egypt. And he looks to God and says, who do I tell them sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent you. And then here's Jesus saying before Abraham was. I am. That is worth the trip to church this morning. (laughs) It's like he's so good. 
He's the great I am. He's the great I am. In Him and through Him, all things were created. By Him and for Him. That His people had no hope. And so God made a way where there was no way. When He heard His people cry out, He responded to their cry and led them out. How? Under the blood of the Passover lamb, which points to the true and for all, once and for all, Passover lamb who has come. And the one John said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, cre- he, he parted a sea and they walked across on dry ground. The great I am was present with them, led them with a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, ultimately leading them step by step by step, providing manna, the original wonder bread, manna from heaven, water from a rock. Where do you get water in the desert? God can make water in the desert if he wants to, and he can. Water from a rock. The whole way God is with them, providing for them, guiding them ultimately to the promised land. Whereas believers, ultimately he is leading us to the land of promise. Jesus is saying, I am. Last verse in verse 59. So what did they do? They picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and he went out of the temple. Why did he pick up stones? Because according to law, there are a couple things that would be worthy of being stoned to death. One was adultery. We saw that a few weeks ago as we walked through the woman called in adultery and they had their stones and they were ready to fire away. And Jesus said, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. What did they do? They're out. They're out. They pick up their stones because Jesus is communicating in grace and truth. He's saying this. He's saying, I am God. Their law blasphemy. Blasphemy is worthy of stoning. So they had their stones and they were ready to go. But yet they couldn't lay a hand on him. Because according to divine perfect timing. Not yet. Not yet. The schemes of man. The plan of man, we're going to lay our hands on him. We're going to get him. We're going to stop him. We're going to do all this. No, you're not. We're going to pick up stones. We're going to throw. We're going to stone. No, you're not. No, you're not. Why? Because his timing is perfect and nothing can stop God's plan. And so he withdrew from them. In about six months, there's going to be another feast. It's the Passover feast. And God will allow them to arrest him. And he will allow them to crucify him. And he will allow them to take his life. Nobody takes the life of God unless he lays it down himself. He lays down his life. Why? To pay the price for our sin. They placed him in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead on an early Sunday morning, proving that he alone has the power to give victory over death, hell, and the grave. And to forgive our sin. And so for the believer, may we be reminded who we serve, who we worship, who we follow by His grace. We serve and follow and worship and glorify the only one who is worthy of our worship. And that is the great I Am. The God who can do anything and 
faith can overcome fear because we know the great I am and we know who we know the object of our faith. And because we know who we're placing our faith in, we can overcome any circumstance that we may walk through as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because the shadow is real. But we we can fear no evil because God is with us. Be encouraged, believer, for the great I am, the relationship we have. Nothing, there's nothing my God cannot do. Isn't that right? Think about that. Church, do we believe it? There's nothing that our God cannot do. Why? Because he's the great I am. Nothing is impossible with God. He's faithful. And the unknown that we find ourselves worried for, He's already on the other side and we know who holds the future. He is the great I Am. And, and for those who are not living in a relationship with Jesus, do you hear the love? Do you hear the grace? Do you hear the pursuit of a people whose hearts are turned against Him? He is meeting them at every turn Extending this invitation, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone, even those who would pick up stones to kill him, if anyone would keep my word, he will live forever. And so the invitation is that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that he is inviting you into that relationship. What does that look like? It's a very simple and clear message. Repent and believe. Repent means you acknowledge your sin. You turn from that sin knowing it separates you from God and you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. If anyone, if anyone. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for the truth of your word. God, I continue to be humbled and amazed at the grace and love that you show a sinful world. That God, here are these people who their hearts are bent on murdering you and killing you. And yet there you are offering grace and truth, offering a rescue line for anyone, if anyone. And I, I pray that hearts would hear that word today. That anyone living apart from a life-giving relationship with Jesus that today would be the day of salvation, of repentance and belief, faith. And God, I pray for the family of faith this morning. And I pray, God, as I know many in this room, many listening in online are walking through the shadow. And God, I just thank you that as we keep our eyes on you, that you will keep you will keep us in perfect peace. Why? Because we are fixed on you. Because we trust you. Because you're the everlasting God. And so Lord, I pray that for those who are walking through the shadow, that in this moment through your word, they would be reminded of your greatness and your goodness and your love and your care and that you are with them. The great I am, the God of the impossible, the God that can do anything. God, that you are with them, in them, with them. Father, may we never get over your goodness and your love and your care. Never get over it. 
So, Father, we do love you and we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your care and your love. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with me as we wrap up this morning. We're going to have a song of response. And uh, here's the encouragement. If you're here, if you would like one of our, our team to pray over you, it would be our joy to pray over you. If you're here and you're like, you know what? I need to take that step of obedience and baptism. I have a relationship with Jesus, but I know that's a step of obedience that I need to take. Take that step. Take that step of faith and obedience. If you're here and you're like, you know what? I have no relationship with Jesus and I know I need to begin that relationship today. We would love, we would love to pray for you and walk alongside you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. It's a beautiful invitation. It's always open. So whatever that is, let's be sensitive to how the Lord would lead us and let's be obedient to however He leads in this time.